Hello and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. And with me, as usual, is my yellow player and lovely wife, Haley. I have become a burrito. It is cold today because we finally got the first snow of our winter season and probably going to be our last snow, aside from, I guess, tonight. I hope not. Last year, we had a really wonky season where we, have our, we had our last snow and really the biggest snow in April. Remember? Was it in April? Yeah, it was in April. It was like April like 15th or something like that. The most random time of the year. We'd already had like 15, 70 degree days. And then Oklahoma's like, surprise, here is a snow day that's going to shut everything down for three days. I don't remember, but I just don't remember a lot about snow in the past several years because we haven't been getting hardly any at all. So it sucks, but it's nice today because I got off, which is why we're able to record on a Wednesday. And I work from home on Wednesdays and Fridays, so it's just a normal day with a Delton. So there we are. Uh, I haven't said it yet, but we're the Malthouse Games podcast. We talk about board games, tabletop games, card games, role-playing games, and beer. That's what we're all about here. I've been forgetting to mention that. This is also episode 59, which I have been forgetting to mention the number. (laughs) But it works. I have a really good game idea for the episode that is 10 episodes away from this one. I hate you already. Uh, Stay tuned. That sounds just absolutely terrible. Terrible. Just like the package of crackers. It's terrible. What? Like when you open up a package of crackers and it has like the little terrible little seal. Terrible. I was thinking terrible like going to a funeral. As in it's sad. Too soon. Trying to segue. Too soon. We had a funeral this week. (laughs) I was trying to segue into continuing this where it's not just us rambling about random things. And uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good at stuff. Made like a sharp left turn there, Delty Poo. I'm very, very good at stuff. (laughs) Yes, my great grandmother passed away. Uh, She was 94 years old, had a wild and crazy life where she traveled the world and did a lot of cool things. Taught me how to make popcorn balls and to pour wine and all sorts of fun stuff. I'm very grateful to have had her in my life. We celebrated her life yesterday. And yeah, it was a good celebration, I believe. It was. The family got together and there were plenty of stories and good times and, you know, talking about the good old days kind of stuff. So it was a nice time. I wish I would have known her more than the one time I got to meet her. Especially after seeing the photo of her with the monkey in like Puerto Rico or something. Yeah, so my grandma and grandpa had an appliance store in western Oklahoma, and GE, uh, the big appliance company, used to send their store owners to these exotic locations. Like, they had pictures of the store owner from Elk City, which was them, Clinton, a lot of the other small towns. They were all friends because GE would just, like, once or twice a year, just round them all up and let's say, let's go to Puerto Rico. Let's go to Sweden. Let's go to Germany. And just, like supply their whole trip there, and they'd stay at a resort. But that's back whenever corporations would actually take care of their employees and CEOs didn't make 500 times more than the average person. That's very true. Times we don't live in now. We don't anymore. And I also, would love to be sent places. It was also times whenever, instead of having like multiple uh, chains all over a city, you'd have actually family-owned businesses. Completely different times. It was. But it was, a, it was a nice funeral, like I said, reliving those moments and all that kind of stuff. So that was good, but that was part of our week this week. And then the snow day today, which got me out of work, which is nice. We had a board game design day with Brian. We did last weekend. 
which was awesome. We got to play Brian's game, the prototype he's put together, and we're starting to try to tweak that now because uh, we're kind of at the point of small changes for the most part on everything. He did a really good job getting it to the prototype stage. It's amazing. I wish we could say more about it, but hopefully we can have him on the podcast sometime to talk about it himself. Oh, for sure. And then Haley, we got her game, mostly her and Brian got her game to where she'll be able to prototype it now. I just got to finish making those cards on my Word document and print those buggers out and give it a roll. And then we had some notes on mine, and I think we're going to switch my theme up before I prototype it to make it something that's just a little more, I guess, exciting and different and kind of work with a couple things. So we're making progress and trying to do stuff about once a month and work on the games that we're all trying to design because... I feel like every board gamer hits a stage of either wanting to start a podcast or designing or both. And here we are. (laughs) It's like that meme, turn 27, are you going to start a family or a podcast? Guess what? Podcast. Podcast. Well, today I've already cracked the first beer. I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. The first beer is from Crooked Stave Artisan Beer Project. It is an IPA, and it's simply named IPA. It says, built to showcase hop aroma and flavor, this juicy, unfiltered American IPA is all about hops, dominated by citrus and tropical flavors from Amarillo, Azica, Mosaic, and Motueka hops. This IPA remains smooth and easy drinking, making it a great beer for every day. There you go. And um, Crooked Stave is out of Colorado. It's 6% alcohol by volume. I think there's a huge semantic semantic difference between a beer for every day and an everyday beer. There is. This one says a beer for every day. Yeah. Which implies something a lot more problematic than an everyday beer. Oh, I was thinking (laughs) a beer for every day in the way of like, if you have a Monday evening you want to have a beer, we have a style for Monday evenings. We have something for Thursday evenings. I thought that's how I took it. I took it as this beer is for every day, which I'm I'm not saying I'm opposed to. I mean, maybe. But I'm not saying I'm condoning it either. So this has a nice color. It is cloudy in the way a lot of IPAs are now. It has a nice smell to it. Plenty of citrus in there. There's a little bit of a more of a hefty scent to it as well, though. Let's give it that first taste. It's very, very light. It's almost fruit juicy. Like a carbonated fruit juice in a way. It's like if an IPA had a diet version. A bigger drink is better with this one. Where you get more liquid at once. Mouth feels fine. Uh, It's a little foamy on the back, but a lot of beers do that. It's an IPA with training wheels. I think this would be a good starter IPA for people that want to get into IPAs, but don't want something that's going to obliterate your taste buds. This is really solid. It tastes good. It's nice and light. 6%. It's not too complex in the flavor. I think this is actually a really good start, uh, A, for the podcast, and B, as an IPA. I mean, it's 1.37 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, and uh, this is solid. Not opposed. I think we're going to have this one sucked down before we even start the game talk, though. We probably will. So that's from Crooked Stave. (laughs) I guess the last thing I should say is uh, this weekend we're going to Zach and Sarah's in Tulsa to hang out with them and little baby Avery. So that's going to be super fun. Baby Avery, she has such a big head and she's so cute. She really does. (laughs) She's got a big head like me, which is fine. She's no relation, but still. Takes after her Uncle Delt. There you go. Uh, We're going to do that. And then next Tuesday, so I guess it's two days after this releases, I'll be finishing the color of my tattoo. I'm very excited to get the color work done. And I will be posting a photo as long as it is indeed, as it should be, the last session. Which is my just a second session. But... That's where we are today. 
I think we got a good week ahead of us. I think we do. We've had a good, you know, last two weeks for the most part, and we have a good weekend coming up. And then in March, we go to Montreal, Canada, which I think we've talked about. Which we'll talk about more in future episodes. Yes, we will, as it becomes more of a reality as it gets closer. That is if Delton actually gets his passport in. I was going to mail my passport out, like, uh, just outside of the eight-week window, and I didn't have my birth certificate like we thought we did. My mom had it, so I had her mail it to us, and I had got my stuff submitted two days within the eight-week line. So hopefully it does not take the full eight weeks of their six- to eight-week, like, you know, usual time period. And if it does, our anniversary trip will turn into a solo experience very quickly. It will turn into something strange, that's for sure. <laughs> we'll get it figured out. Well, like I said, with how the laws are right now, you can get into Canada without a passport. You just can't get out. Which means I can have someone mail it to me. Or... So send this to the hotel. I need it now. Or just find some way to get deported. And you get a from free trip Can- back. From Canada? Yes. That sounds illegal. I've thought this through. Sounds very illegal. Thought this through 100%. I don't think that's true. Flawless. <laughs> I Hey, I know two people personally who've been deported from Canada and are no longer allowed to go into the country. That's horrible. And so they turned out just fine. I guess so. One was in the 70s. One was like five years ago. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. But that's what's coming up for us. I say let's move into the game and get this episode chug-a-lugging forward. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. Speaking of chug-a-lugging, yes, we are finishing this beer before that we start the actual game talk. It's just a really good light beer. Like it's one. It's uh, it's drinkable. It's not one you're gonna take a drink of, sit and chat. Take a, I mean, obviously you do that with every beer, but this one's just it's nice. And at the same time, I'm also thirsty because I haven't drank a lot of water today. Hashtag thirsty. And this is, uh, this is filling that space of water right now. But for the game segment, I will set it down so I can discuss. We're talking about a game I'm very excited about. So today we are talking about PAX Premier 2nd Edition. PAX Premier is a game we've played three times now at three different player counts. It is a game that I wasn't sure I wanted to talk about at first because it is a Kickstarter game. They put the second edition on Kickstarter last year, and I got my copy sometime last fall, and we've played it and everything since then. Well, I didn't originally want to talk about it because there was really no way to get access to the game unless you knew someone who had it, bought it secondhand, or found some store that happened to back several copies, but most of them sold it for over the retail suggested cost, and it was just going to be too much. You know, it was hard to get your hands on. So. We've been sitting on it and sitting on it and sitting on it, and out of nowhere, kind of, there's been enough demand that they are actually going to do a pre-order run for the game whenever they start their John Company Kickstarter sometime, I think, in early March, maybe it was May, sometime in this first or second quarter of the year. John Company, I'm super excited about to back, is something that I was waiting on, so hearing that Pax Pamir was getting another reprint of this same edition, uh, I thought it was awesome, and I thought, you know what? I think that that's enough availability to dictate us talking about the game because, you know, spoiler, we really enjoy it, talking about it on the podcast, and hopefully this can lead some of you to say, hey, that sounds like a game for me. I'm going to go look at some videos. Hey, this looks really fun. I'm going to pre-order it when that time comes. So here we are going to talk about PAX Premier 2nd Edition from Whirligig Games. So for the credits of the game, the game design, graphic design, and research is Cole Whirly. 
The development was Drew Worley in the second edition and Phil Eklund in the first edition. Design of Wakan was Richard Wilkins. Wakan is like the solo opponent, and you can even use it in a two-player game as well. Editor is Travis D. Hill. The calligraphy for the cover, which, by the way, the cover is just gorgeous. Actually, really, this whole game is. One of the most richest purples I've ever seen. It's a very good box. You should oh, look at the box. Gorgeous. It's also a good size. Uh, the calligraphy for the cover is Josh Bearer. The icon illustrations is Abul Bahadori. The tabletop simulator module is Josh. It says Agent Elrond. So there is tabletop sim if you want to play it on there. And then it lists all the play testers. So PAX Premier 2nd Edition, I never did play the first PAX Premier. Now, PAX Premier 2nd Edition, the main designer of this is Cole Worley. Uh, The way this game presents itself is part of what makes this game, I think, so good. So it's interesting, this game, let me see if I could find like a quick... In PAX Premier, here we go, each player assumes the role of a 19th century Afghan leader attempting to forge a new state after the collapse of the Durrani Empire. Western histories often call this period the Great Game because of the role played by the Europeans who attempted to use Central Asia as a theater for their own rivalries. In this game, those empires are viewed strictly from the perspective of the Afghans who sought to manipulate the interloping Ferengi, which is foreigners, for their own purposes. It is set in the 1800s Afghanistan, and you are all controlling an Afghan leader, and you are using the military strengths of the British, the Russian, and the Afghani military powers, and using them to gain more influence and trying to manipulate to have the most control as the leader that you are. It's kind of a strange uh, element to think of, but it makes sense when you start playing the game. Essentially, you are aligning yourself with one of those three big coalitions. Yes, and so instead of like the Russians taking control and having the power or the British, you basically, as the Afghani people, have control. As the Afghani leaders, you have control. You just choose to align yourself with either the British powers or the Russian powers or the Afghani government powers. And so you have the choice to align at the beginning of, at the, beginning of the game and then ditch them throughout the game. If you see somebody else is taking over more land or has more resources, more power, and that person is Russia and you are aligned with the British, you can peace out with the British, kill all your British citizens in your tableau, and join the Russians. Easy peasy. It is so fun. So that's one of the first things I really enjoy about this game is there's a tension within it. So the last game we played was me, Haley, and our friend Kyle. So it was a three-player game. And me and Kyle both started out the game with our alliance set to the Afghani people, and Haley started out with the Russians. Me and Kyle kind of worked together against Haley a little bit until I shifted gear, and at one point I switched to the British, and I started utilizing the British power to go in and exert my influence from different areas on the board. Now, what's interesting about that, the tension I'm talking about, is you never know when someone's just going to switch, when they're going to change their allegiances. You don't know if they're going to join your side to somehow alter your plans, which still can help you, but it can alter your plans, helping them more, and then they can abandon you, or alter your plans, set you up for failure, abandon you, and join the other team. So that, Kyle. you know, Kyle, it's just, there's all kinds of things that can happen with these alliances, and you can't just switch alliance on the, like, just out of nowhere. You have to use a card to do it. You have to assassinate some one of somebody's figures in their court to take them as a prize, that's how you do it. So it still takes not a simple action. However, it's still an action. You can't just say, hey, you know what? I'm changing. 
Right. Well, you have to, like like Dalton said, you have to play a card that switches your alliances or you have to kill yes. somebody. Uh, so let's say that I'm aligned with the British and I kill someone on Dalton's tableau who would be considered a trophy for the Russians. Then that means I am now aligned with Russia and all my people who are British are dead and gone in my tableau, in my court. It's really awesome. So one of the ways the game scores, one of the coalitions has the majority of power on the board during a dominance check, which is how you get the most of, or pretty much all the points in the game. If two people are aligned with that coalition, so let's say two people aligned with Russia, each of those players can have a certain set number of influence based on how many prizes they have, how many gifts they've paid and given to, you know, the Russian people to show that they're, you know, thankful or whatever to basically manipulate them more. Smooth them. And how many prizes you have. So those prizes and things that you can change, the ways that you can change your coalition also are the ways that you gain more influence in that coalition. And it's just fun because you never know what people are going to do, how they're going to change, what they're, the way they're going to like work the system. I just want to point out, in the last game we played, Delton and Kyle were both aligned with the Afghani government, and I was with Mother Russia, and they teamed up against me, and then Delton defected and joined the British, and then Kyle defected and joined the British, and I still won, never having broken my alliance with Mother Russia. So I am loyal. You're loyal until the first time it doesn't work out for you, and you're just going to be like, bye, Russia. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like the first time we played? Yes, exactly. So the first time we played this game, it was just me and Delton. And I was playing on Russia's side, which I always do. As you all know, I'm obsessed with communist games and Russian-themed games. And so I was aligned with Russia. Delton was aligned with the British. And so at the last possible moment, I switched over and aligned with the British. And my hand was able to get me more influence in the region than Delton had. And I ended up scoring and sweeping Delton's country out from under him. And it was wonderful. It was brutal, but it was something that I didn't see her doing. I didn't plan for it. So she used my own strategy against me and ended up winning. Sneak attack. It was a sneak attack. That's one of the things I like about this game. So the way the game's going to actually function is on your turn, you'll take two actions. The most basic of which, which you'll do a lot of, is buying a card and playing a card. You can buy two cards. You can play two cards if you have any in your hand. There's also actions. Once you play a card, they go in your tableau as part of your court. You can actually use the actions on them some of which can be free bonus actions that you can do on your turn on top of your two actions, depending on uh, which suit is in favor. There's four suits, so there's some, you know, more advanced details. I really enjoy the, the simplicity of buying a card, playing a card, and using the actions on the card. It's just keeping track of all that stuff, as well as planning it, which actions should you do first, and the strategy itself is what's difficult in this game. So it's not hard to necessarily play, but it's very hard to be good at and to have a strategy that's going to last. Because in this game, it's very reactionary. You have to alter your strategy based on what others are doing. So, Delton, what is the highest score that someone has ever received in this game? In our games, it's nine. Nine points. Nine points. That's the high score in PAX Premier. That's the highest score we have in PAX Premier. The lowest is zero, which two different people have had. Uh, the theoretical max, according to Cole Worley, the designer, which is what's printed on the game board or the game technically like mat that it comes with it, is 23. So there's not a lot of points to be had in this game. The way the game triggers the end is when someone has four more points than the next highest point player. So if Haley's at nine and I'm at five, she immediately wins the game being four points ahead of me, which is what happened. 
I think I was at five. Yeah, I think I was. I think I yeah. got to five and you got to nine and Kyle was still at zero. That's okay. It's okay. It's a tough game. It really is. But uh, one of the things I like as well, we talked about some, is that the cards are also multi-use cards. Not only can you play them, which initiates an action when you put them in your court, they also can modify your court and your hand size to make them larger and stuff like that, depending on what type of card they are. They can also provide actions in your court when it's your turn that can either be bonus or just ones you take instead of buying cards or draw, uh, playing cards. They can also be prizes for some people, and they can also bolster your influence with your own coalition you're aligned to. So the cards are everything in this game. They're also gorgeously illustrated and have a ton of flavor text that's actual historical information. Yes, lots of nuggets of history there. Which is really cool. And with this game, you know, you should plan on playing it for about two hours. Like the other night with Delton, Kyle, and I, we spent about an hour and 45 minutes playing it. However, the second time we played it with four people, Delton won in about 19 minutes. It was very fast because they didn't quite see that. Uh, one of them is it's hard because the tr what triggers the end is when a domination card comes out. Uh, there's the option of purchasing the domination card to trigger it, which is scoring, or let it fall off the like card market, which would trigger scoring. And the way scoring works is uh, your armies and roads on the map are just these blocks. If they're standing up, it's an army. If it's laying down, it's a road. If one coalition, so if either the Afghans, the Russians, or the British have four more blocks than any other single faction, they would win dominance, and whoever's aligned with them gets points based on their influence if there's multiple. So that's pretty much that. And if somebody's not dominant, you get points based on how many discs you've used, which are spies and tribes that go on the map. So those cards can hit, and what happened is it's hard to, you know, it kind of get the point across sometimes of this is extremely important. When you're playing something new, there's so many things to consider in this game, that's an easy thing to just overlook. So we continued playing after that, but I made it a point to say, okay, technically I win right now because of this, but we're going to keep going, and that way now you guys, you know, you see how this card works, you see how everything's functioning, and we'll keep going and get through the game. So, but I did. I won in technically 19 minutes. But playing with new players, it's like, I can't really count that. But it was but still kind of nice for me. <laughs> I really don't have an excuse, though, because I was not a new player. That's true. That's very true. I was like, oh, snap, I forgot. Yeah, it's one of those. There's some small rules and stuff. Like, it is a very complicated game. This game is not for someone who doesn't want something that's going to take two hours, take a lot of thought, and have small rules to keep up with. However, it's very rewarding to do so. It's a very, very fun game. I really, really enjoy it. It's just been, like I said, it's tense. It's got good action cards or actions from the cards, good multi-use card play. History. It's got history involved. It's just, it kind of hits all the boxes, checks all the boxes that I want. The only thing that's weird is like having armies on a map that you move around to attack, but that feels so secondary compared to maximizing the efficiency of your cards and actions you have available and really stringing together different things. So. I don't know. It's just been really, really entertaining. I know I'm not trying to go into too much detail with the rules, but I hope it's making sense for the most part. And so it's a really fun game to play, but I have to say the thing that really piqued my interest was the theme. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. Now. I'm just going to do a PSA. Delton, 
and I are both white people. We have cultural blinders on. Therefore, we are not experts on speaking on about anything related to culture because our culture is a lot of mayonnaise. It's very true. But we did want to spend some time talking about cultural sensitivity in, in board game design and in board game themes today. So what we decided to name this topic, we wanted to talk about that kind of cultural sensitivity, but also historical accuracy. So we decided to name the topic historical sensitivity. Yeah. Because I thought it kind of made sense. Trademark, Malt House Games. <laughs> Trade, trademark, TM. So essentially, it's exactly what it sounds like. We want historical accuracy, but we want that historical accuracy to also be appropriate. And we want it to be sensitive to the cultures that are being represented and make sure that it's done in a way that's a little more appropriate or at least not with blinders on. Doesn't dehumanize people. Exactly. And Pax Pamir, like, from, as Haley said, from our, you know, white American perspective. Which may be completely wrong. It could be completely wrong. Pax Pamir seems to do a fantastic job. Cole Worley, who we got to meet, uh, Cole Worley did a great job with research and the way that they present the game. As we were talking about in the game section of this episode, when you look at this game and see that the players are playing a leader of... A, a, like a family, basically a, a leader of people in Afghanistan like during a, this a time. tribe or a unit of people. Exactly. Then you're seeing the player with that unit. We are using the military power, influencing these invading forces to do our own bidding to try to be the top. Uh, like, it, what was it, it said in the rule book here? That it was the fall of the Durrani Empire, the collapse of that empire. So somebody needed to rule the country. Well, these forces came in, the British and the Russian, and are invading. And essentially, you're playing somebody utilizing their power. They're the pawn. You are gaining influence to try to bring your people to the top. And so, you know, from what we understand about history, that's kind of how things played out. Uh, there's a really great book called In the Graveyard of the Empires. And it is a basically war history of Afghanistan, all the way from Alexander the Great to the most recent uh, war in in Afghanistan, the United States kind of led. And so in that, it really talks about how no country or no government or no military has ever really been able to control Afghanistan. Because Afghanistan is like a, a collection of peoples, of cities, of small nations within a border that Britain was like, oh, I'm going to draw this border. This is Afghanistan. Like, I mean, they are unified people, but it's not, I mean, it's an arbitrary border. And so throughout history, the Afghani people have been able to, um, you know, cast their alliances and really have control over their own nation, even against, you know, the United States, which everyone is like, oh, it's the United States is the greatest military in the world. I know they didn't stand a chance against the Afghani people. I'm sorry, it didn't because they're their own people. And this game is, I think, did a good job of not dehumanizing, not taking the power away from the Afghani people. I mean, they used the empires as their own pawns which was amazing. And I feel like a lot of history and a lot of cultural representation of Afghanistan and the media really shows these powers coming in and uh, taking over and using the tribes as their pawns. and da, 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 da. It was really the, the opposite. I mean, normally the way this kind of stuff is presented in board games even is colonialism. The British come into some lands that aren't British, or I guess it could be Americans, but the British are tend to be the one of the main they come into these lands of quote-unquote savages or something like that that's some horrible term for a human 
and they come in and make it better because they make it British. They take over, they treat people horribly, they take their resources and say, we did this for the queen. And it's just, you know, it's not that that's always the truth. It's one of those things where history is painted from the lens of the person who thinks they won or from the winner in some bat like military battle cases. So having a game like this that has research behind it and, you know, Cole Worley actually has, and I highly, highly recommend if you're doubtful on what we're talking about of this being like appropriate or well-researched, if there's any concern at all there, he did some like design blogs, uh, one of which I read, which actually was a huge defining factor of me backing this game, was why he used artwork that was artwork by a lot of people that came in, a lot of the British people that came to that region at this time, they drew artwork of the people and the places they saw, and that's the artwork he used, and he wrote about why that's the case, why they didn't change it, why they didn't do something else, why they used this historical artwork from an outside perspective. It wasn't artwork from people of Afghanistan, it was artwork from like the British and the Russians that came in. And reading that and the actual consideration of the culture and the history behind it really showed me that this is being done with care, at least in my eyes. And I really appreciated that. And so I definitely recommend looking at his design blogs because he does talk about the representation of cultures and things like that in those. And like we say, you know, we are culturally blinded based on who we are. And so these are just, this is just our opinion. We, we appreciate the care that was put into to the theme. And put into the, the research there. Um, so always do your research for yourself. I mean, see how it feels for you. But so far, we've really appreciated it. Yes, in terms of theme and stuff, I, there's not many games I have that are a historical, cultural theme that seems to be so impressively researched and accurate. Now, there's some really cool stuff in, like Twilight Struggle. You know, that's stuff that the government went through and this and that. But there's something different here. This feels different. And also part of it might be that it's a history that we don't know. I don't know. You've read about it at least, Haley, but I haven't. And so some of these cards talk about somebody who was a big general for something and did something big. And it's like, that's so cool because now I'm learning, actually learning true history of this game, of this time period through the game. And I just find that to be, I don't know, it's entertaining for me, but it's also nice to see. It's basically... I guess what I really want to say is this sets a new standard. Yes. You know, for people for that want to use a historical game and use actual, like, history points and try to make it accurate and stuff, this is now the bar, which is going to be very hard to stay at. It really is. Because this has so much care to it. I just, I, I really appreciate it. I, know, I feel like I'm rambling now, but I just appreciate it. The only thing that I could see that would make this better or more accurate was to have some sort of a cultural consultant or something like that. Someone who was raised within the culture. I mean, I know that was in the 1850s, so that's really not possible. But maybe a perspective that isn't of the Caucasian persuasion. Yeah, I guess the only other thing we could do is see what sources that Cole Worley as the designer used for his research. That would be the only thing, is did he read works published by people of Afghanistan descent? and, you know, their research into it from that region. That's the only other step that I could think to take to research that further. I have not done that, but yes, I do agree that, that would help. That's always, a, I feel like, a smart thing to do. Yes. I feel like we've gone on a while about this game, because we have. We've talked with our hands a lot. And this was, uh, I guess this is the topic. I keep thinking we're still in the game segment, because it's all about the game. Well, let's get a beer real quick. We will get a beer, but the last thing I'll say is, 
I just highly recommend this game to everybody. And I hope that us talking about it and presenting it in the way that we have, which is, I mean, obviously it's positive because we've enjoyed the game a lot. Uh, negatives of the game because everybody wants to hear it. I know we're still in technically the topic section. It's complicated and it's kind of hard to learn and teach. It's probably one of my hardest teaches. However, that's okay. It's still, it's, it's up there now in my games. I need to make a list of like top games ever. But in terms of the topic, I think it's great. Seconded. Now, Delty Poo, what are we drinking next? This is Firefly Crew from Elk Valley Brewing Company here in Oklahoma City. Uh, it is an ale brewed with coriander and lemon. It's only 4.8% alcohol by volume, so it's less than the last beer. It said, my son and I have always loved catching fireflies together during the summer evenings. One night, he declared that we would be known as the Firefly Crew, and the name stuck. This bright-tasting wit beer, brewed with coriander and lemon peel, was created for you to enjoy while out making memories with your own loved ones. From our crew to yours, cheers. You almost forgot to pour mine there, Dalton. You almost put that beer can down without pouring my beer. That I did. Is, that is not a true gentleman. That would have been bad. Uh, it's got a nice, clear look to it. Good golden color. Give that a good smell. Is that a wit beer? That's a glorious coriander smell. Yep, it's got nice coriander. It's got the, uh, I can't think of what malts that are used in this style, that are used in this style. And I can just smell them, though. They smell so good. They almost smell like a little bit of a, like, a biscuity cookie. The lemon peel's very light. The coriander's there. A very, very light taste. This is definitely a wit beer. This is a style of beer I've drank a lot of because I believe it is a Belgian style. And I like it. It's pretty solid. It's not too complex in terms of its styling. It's a little less complex than Anthem's wit beer. Yeah, this is your basic wit beer. Your basic Belgian wit. It is classic. It is memorable. Just like catching fireflies with your son. Nice tie-in. Thank you. Well, now that we've finished with this big heavy topic and the game talk and got our second beer cracked in, let's go to the question till we can move toward the end. And now, join us for a Malt House Games Podcast special bite-sized question. So our question for the episode is, what kind of random awkward encounters with board game designers have you had? Or something like that. I said awkward encounters with board game celebrities. There we go. <laughs> Haley, I, I elaborated. Want, Haley, I want you to start. All right. So speaking of PAX Premier, I was at BGG Con last year, and uh, we were waiting in line to go into the board game bazaar, and Gates is waiting in line, our friend Gates from Later Games, uh, and we're chatting with her, and I was like, I really hope to find some good communist-themed games or Russian-themed games. And she was like, oh, my friend Cole, he, has, he would be a good person to ask about some recommendations. And I was like, oh, sweet. And so Cole comes over. And I was like, hey, do you have any good ideas for either communist-themed games or Russian-themed games? And he's like, yeah, Russia, 1889, or 1989, or Kremlin, or Kolyeka. And I was like, oh, sweet, those are all great games. So we go into the board game bazaar, and I get Kremlin, I get 1989. I was like, yeah, if we run into that Cole guy again, uh, I can tell him, you know, I, I took his recommendations, took his suggestions, and Delton goes, you know who that was, right? And I was like, it's Gates' friend, Cole. He goes, yeah, Cole Worley. And I was like, ah, hail. That's Pax Premier Cole Worley. <laughs> I didn't even register. He had his name tag on and everything. I was just like, oh, Gates' friend. He knows a lot about Russia. We could be friends. And I'm like, oh, snap. No wonder he knows so much about the communists. Yeah, Haley did not realize that this is Cole Worley from designer of Pax Premier and designer of Root and designer of the new board game Oath. I'm just going to shout that out for them. And so I had to go find him later and be like, 
I'm a really big fan of yours. I'm sorry. It didn't click. Thanks for the recommendations. I have these games. I'm going to fangirl now. I literally said, I'm going to fangirl now. And I did. And then I excused myself and had a great rest of the con. It was really funny to just run, like, to be able to meet him was really cool. Uh, I tend to, when I meet people like that, that based on their games and stuff that I respect through that, uh, I tend, if I like them a lot, not to give them a business card or mention our podcast or anything. <laughs> so he's one of those that I was like, hi, oh, nice to meet you. Cool. Yeah. Uh, kind of thing. See, I always give our business card. Like when we met Elizabeth Hargrave or we met Beth Sobel. When every, you met Beth Sobel? When I met Beth and Sobel. And you didn't tell me that I could say hi? You were standing right next to me. I was playing a game with Elijah and Tyler. No, you weren't. You were just I was talking. too. We were playing a little flicking pool game with your fingers. Okay, well, that wasn't actually playing the game. You guys were just jacking with it. We were playing it. That's how you play. Ah. Uh-huh. Get out of here. Anyway, my awkward board game celebrity encounter story, which you all have heard, is the first time we met Quan Chai Moria, the artist, at Gen Con in, was it 2018? Yep, 2018. 17? It was one of those years where all I did was just fangirl. And I was like, yeah, I think you're really good. You're, I think you're my favorite. You're probably the best in the industry, this and that. Nicest guy in the world. But all I did was compliment him for like five minutes. And I was like, okay, well, have a good con. Bye. And now we're friends on Facebook. <laughs> now we're friends on Facebook. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. He, he doesn't remember us. Dun, dun. That's okay. When you meet a lot of people, it's hard. We've got enough mutuals at this point. I think everybody's like, oh, yeah, we must have met each other. We, we really do, which is hilarious. But that's my odd board game encounter. I think we both have awkward ones, and it's going to happen again. It oh, really is. Just because of the people that we are. Just because of who we are as people. But I just have to say, every time that I've spotted somebody at a con, I'm like, oh, that's so-and-so. Every single time I've gone up to them and fangirled, it's been a good experience. So I'm saying this, don't be afraid to go up and fangirl, because they seem to appreciate it as well. Plus, you get to meet someone who you think is cool, and you idolize, and you respect. So just go ahead and go approach them. I mean, maybe some people might get irritated, but they're not showing it to me. That's very true. That's very true. Don't be afraid of it. They're all going to be nice for the most part, I think. And they're people. That's true. It's just like it's a met, bunch of nerds. We met Isaac Vega the first time. We were at Gen Con 2017, and we go over and we're looking at the Plaid Hat booth, and we tell him that we're big fans. Del- well, Delton spots him and says, that's Isaac Vega. And we go over, we scurry over, and we're like, we're big fans of Dead of Winter. And he takes so much time to explain all these new games they have coming out, his and other people's games, gives us a hug, chats with us. And this is before we became friends with him. Like, now we've gone to a couple of cons together, we've had shared meals together, we've uh, hung out, played games. Like, we consider him a friend. But this was before that, and he just, like, gave us all this time in a con of 50,000 people. He was kind and nice and a... And it really, we enjoyed his company. It's definitely worth it. Just go talk to the people you want to talk to. It's going to be a good experience and you'll be happier having done so. Amen. I do want to give a big shout out to our amazing Patreon backers, which I had to utilize recently. Thank you, Alan, Allison, Jesse, and Catherine. Thank you. I am pulling my Patreon funds as of this episode. I guess I will make a post on Patreon about this to everybody. Uh, My hard drive went out. (laughs) Not my main hard drive for my computer, the one that runs my Windows, but my storage hard drive, which kept all my podcast stuff, all my like video things, everything Malthouse Games, as well as all my Adobe Suite stuff and all of that. It was not a solid state drive, as it probably should have been. I went with quantity over quality at this point to have a bigger one. Well, it decided to start dying on me. I was able to get everything I needed off to keep the podcast functioning, and by the time I did... I was trying to transfer 144 gigabytes and it told me it would take 16 hours. 
And every time I moved anything, it took a ridiculous amount of time and it kept getting slower and slower. So I grabbed what was essential and had to just sacrifice the rest. So I don't have any of my original episodes. Luckily, they're all posted, but I don't have any episodes. I don't think I have any of my original videos that we've posted on YouTube. Uh, I would just have to download them from YouTube. So that kind of stinks, but I've got everything I need. And with my awesome Patreon funds from everyone who I just said their names, we were able to get a new hard drive that is big enough to hold all my stuff I need so I can use my other hard drive that had Windows on it, even though it's small, to hold my podcast stuff, all the Malthouse Games stuff, until it fills up and I have to get a bigger one later. So thank you all very much for your contributions. We really appreciate it. And it we helps do. us to keep this podcast going strong. It really does, especially in times like this when I have a hard drive go out and I really need a way to store my files and try not to lose them all completely because that would be terrible. So. Thank you very much for that. That's been super helpful. I'll be making that whole switch in a post on uh, the Patreon if you're not uh, listening to this at this time, whatever, you'll see it. But thank you guys so much. If anybody wants to reach out to us, we always have the email contact at malthousegames.com. You can always send us a question to answer on the show, a topic for us to discuss, or a game you want us to look at, and we can try to squeeze that in wherever. You can also look us up on all social media, at Malthouse Games. It's M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S, Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. And you can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. At Squirrely Geek. Don't be afraid to reach out and hit us up for anything. But I think that that covers everything right now for this episode. So thank you again for listening. And until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.